Welcome to Lions. Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Top 40 country radio recording artist D.A. Cole is firing things up on the Lions Radio Network with this provocative approach to talk radio. Hot topics, interesting guests, and music will entice listeners to call in and join the conversation on Turning Up the Heat. Welcome to Turning Up the Heat. I'm D.A. Cole, along with my co-host slash engineer, Brian Gard. Thanks again for uh, having me tonight. The Guardian of Talk Radio. We are back after a little hiatus for the holidays. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. And when you come back on air after a break, you got to come back big, Brian Gard. Uh, You got to go big. That's why today we've got a former Major League pitcher who enjoyed a 22-year career. Two all-star selections. 22-year career. Two all-star selections. uh, National League Comeback Player of the Year in 1980, uh, as well as pitching a no-hitter. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. He totaled 220 wins. Please welcome to the show, Jerry Royce. Hey, Jerry. Hey, DA. What's happening? Well, we, uh, we're happening, man. Um, we are so glad to have you on tonight. Well, it's nighttime here in New York City. Uh, where, where are you calling from, Jerry? I'm in Las Vegas. Been here for, well, you know, in a week or two, it'll be 25 years. I'd have never guessed that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My wife and I moved out of Los Angeles. I was working for ESPN. And at the time they had indicated that I would be doing regional games on the West coast. And with Arizona coming into the league, as well as the Colorado Rockies, I took a look around for an airport that would be best to accommodate me. Uh, this was the third best airport in the region behind LAX in San Francisco, and we decided to move here. <laughs> and then ESPN said, you know, we think we're going in a different direction. So we've stayed here for 25 years and haven't regretted the move. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I really didn't know. I wasn't sure if you were back in St. Louis, or I kind of presumed you're in L.A. for some reason because of the, the time you spent with the Dodgers. Um, but I wasn't really sure. So when I, you know, when I, when I gave her the instructions about the, about, uh, you know, uh, the details about the show, um, I put, you know, Pacific time as well as Eastern time. And I just figured you, you, you know, you figure it out from there, but, um, good to know. I, I happen to, uh, love Las Vegas. I've, I've been there myself. I've performed live, uh, at the Bellagio in Vegas. And, oh, really? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I sang a couple of, a couple of times. Uh, I actually sang with, um, uh, Roxanne Potvin at the time was the singer in the uh, the show Cirque du Soleil O at the time. This was about ten years ago. Uh, Cirque du Soleil O was the show at the Bellagio, the nightly uh, the nightly show, and uh, and I got a chance to do some singing with um, at the Bellagio with Roxanne. So it was a, it was a nice time and good experience. But um, and Jerry, I if you see my soul wandering around Vegas, uh, please uh, tell it to come home. <laughs> <laughs> Yours and uh, probably many others, Brian Gard. Uh, what's what's souls stay are in Vegas? Stay in Vegas. Uh, so Jerry, we've uh, you know we're 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 excited to have you on, and I've got got a lot of questions about um, your uh, phenomenal um, illustrious career. Um, you uh, are from St. Louis, um, I have read, and you were drafted by your hometown ball club. I mean, what what was that like? It was a surprise. This goes back to 1967. Now, remember, the draft for Major League Baseball began in 1965. So this was in the early years. And, boy, what it was like generations ago compared to where we are today. Uh, the Cardinals never came around, or if they did, they were always in the background. So when I got word, uh, of course, there was no Internet back then, that the Cardinals had drafted me, I was a bit shocked. I thought it would be one of the teams that had more of a presence, like the Mets or the Red Sox or any number of teams whose scouts I had met either before a ball game or after a ball game briefly. But it was the Cardinals, and looking back on it right now, it couldn't have worked out better for me. 
Wow. Um, I, I, that's interesting that, that you, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know uh, that you had uh, had all those other teams. I mean, I, 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 I guess I could presume that there were other teams, but, uh, but um, wondering what would have happened if you would have uh, entered that Met pitching staff, you know, in the, uh, in the late, you know, mid to late sixties, along with, you know, Nolan, you know, Seaver, Kuzman, Ryan, you know, um, wow, that would have been and another left-handed, you know, pitcher along with Kuzman. That would have been well. Uh, that would have, I'm going to stop you right there because in 1967, the Mets drafted as their first-round draft choice. I hope I got this straight because I know somebody there in New York's going to jump on me. It was John Matlack, right? Who okay. was the Mets' first-round draft choice? So the Mets didn't do too bad when it came to getting somebody that was going to be a major league caliber pitcher and would be so for a long period of time. Uh, I, you know, I, I watched Matt Lack pitch, and uh, he was a great pitcher, and I, I actually was, I saw the game where he took a batted ball off, I believe it was, it was the third baseman for the Atlanta Braves, hit a line drive, and, uh, and took, I mean, it was horrible, could him square on the forehead, uh, Matt Lack. And I was pretty serious. We didn't know if he was going to live through that. It was really bad. Do you do you, do you recall that happening? No, I, I really don't. Uh, you know, that was just so long ago. You know, we're talking 1967. This is 2019. Yeah. You know, that was that was the early 70s. You didn't wake yeah. up this morning thinking about that. <laughs> well, that no, was uh, well, that was in, it was in 73. I think that he got he got he got uh, he got hit, hit by a comebacker. Um, okay, so but, we're talking uh, some 45, 46 years ago. Uh, you know, well, my geez, mind guys, right I now. Still remember it. <laughs> you know, my mind right now, probably like a lot of people who are approaching 70, it, I, I liken it to Swiss cheese, in that <laughs> there are some holes in there, and those memories are the holes. Uh, there's still some good ones in there, but there reaches a point when you go through the cheese and you say, I just don't remember some things. Uh, uh, they go. I mean, and after 22 years, uh, you, know, I, you must amass so many experiences on, uh, you know, on the ball field, travel experiences. You know, one of my questions that I wanted to ask um, you know, right off the bat was um, you played for eight major league teams. Um, Tell me about the moves and the travel, you know, the, just living in different cities. And I mean, did you, did you maintain uh, residency in one and just, you know, have an apartment in a city for the, for this, for the season? How did that work out? Well, we have to go through the times because all of that is relevant. Uh, I started with the Cardinals, had a house, was traded, went to Houston, bought a house. Uh, and two years later I was traded to Pittsburgh. So I figured, you know, maybe, the wrong thing to do is once you go to a city is to buy a house. So <laughs> at that point, I, my wife then and I moved to Santa Barbara, California, and we got divorced. So right away I knew it wasn't the house situation. It was just a product of some things that are, are going to happen. Now, I had a lot of control over what I did with my life, the good things. I, I feel I'm responsible for those just as I am for the things that didn't quite work out right. Uh, but the path that everyone seems to take, uh, I don't know if it's predetermined. It's just one of those things that you deal with as it comes up. In some cities, yes, I did buy a house. Uh, I bought a house in Pittsburgh, stayed there five years, and then moved to Los Angeles where I bought a house and stayed there eight years. So it wasn't anything about that. But when I got to L.A., and it was toward the end of my career, and I was comfortable there. I played with the White Sox, and we had an apartment there. And after the White Sox, it was Milwaukee. We didn't move there. We still kept our home in Los Angeles. And then for the final season back in 1990, I played the final month of the season with the Pirates. I had a return visit, an encore performance, as you might say. In 1990, we still kept our home in L.A. And and living uh, living in ha- having a place in Chicago and playing in Milwaukee, you probably could have driven from the apartment to Chicago to the games in in, in County Stadium. No, is it? It's only well, a couple yeah, hours that, away, that, right? Yeah, that's not bad. It's about 90 miles uh, difference from where we yeah. live to County Stadium. But no, when I was traded to the Brewers, we got a temporary place. It was an extended stay hotel. Those were just coming into vogue. 
and mm-hmm. we stayed there for a couple of months. Uh, we knew it was a nomadic existence, and we played pretty much like an extended concert tour. Uh, if we're right. going to be somewhere for a week or so or two weeks, you don't know at that point in your career what's going to happen. So you've learned to roll with the punches over the years. This is where I'm playing now. So right. let's deal with that, do the best we can, and where I happen to be playing tomorrow, we'll deal with that when the time comes. Yeah, it's unpredictable. I, you know, I, I, can, I can certainly relate to that uh, through yeah, my you know, own uh, I, career experiences. I think with, you know, with your career as a, as a performer, you know, we're running in parallel paths here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go out on the road, you got a three-month tour, you come back and you think you're going to relax, and then it's time for you to get in the studio. Uh, you know, yeah. you've got your manager, you've got the label saying, we need no product so that we can promote this, put it on the radio. If it starts to go, we're going to put you back on the road. And it's one of those crazy kind of things that after a couple of years, you you wake up one morning and say, where am I? You'll look in the mirror and say, who am I? And uh, <laughs> because it just kind of takes over your life. Yeah. Uh, well, right now um, I'm, I'm, I'm functioning as an independent artist, so all those uh, uh, details are, are being handled by myself. Brian uh, helps out with a lot of things. Uh, he works uh, closely with my music career and, um, and some investment folks who have uh, you know, decided to uh, delve in and, uh, and help out on the, on the financial backing aspect of it. But I, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of those details are actually, at this point, are being done by me, but I still have a lot of that running around and unpredictability. And, and, and I do travel sometimes. Uh, it has not really been, um, haven't had a long stints of months, but I've had weeks where I've been away. And yes, I do wake up sometimes. I did a last year, did a, did a tour where I was in, so oh, I don't know, four or five different, you know, cities and in, in a couple of days and waking up and I don't really didn't know what city I was in. I was playing a show the night before and then being, on air at a radio station to perform live, uh, 9 a.m. and you had to sound good and <laughs> it, 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 it's it's tough and, and you know I, I know that people don't realize I think that uh, you know from from um, it, it, the standpoint a of double your, header after a night yeah, game if and, you will and not only that but but you know from Jerry's uh, you know uh, this perspective of of a ball player people don't realize that you're performing you, you, travel is just draining. And when you're traveling across, you know, large you know, portions of the country in an airplane, you're tired and you're a human being and you have to perform and you're exhausted and you may not, you know, you, you, you might just not be up to, you know, uh, your, your best capabilities because the travel is wearing on you. And I'm sure you've had, you can relate to that. Well, it was a little bit different with baseball because there was a schedule and I could take a look at the schedule as soon as it came out. And back then, uh, it was a little bit different because there were fewer number of teams, and it was more of a balanced schedule. So if the Dodgers, for instance, took a trip and it was east, then I knew it was going to be Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and Chicago. Or if it was another trip east, it was going to be New York, Philadelphia, and Montreal, and that was a nine- or ten-day trip. So... It was just a little bit different probably than what you were doing. Now, I bet you were crisscrossing. You didn't do it in a, in a straightforward kind of manner. You may be in North Carolina, zip down to Florida, and then have to go up to New Hampshire or Massachusetts to perform a gig and then zip into Ohio and then yeah. come back into uh, Alabama. Yeah, it was, yeah, that's that's very accurate. It's, it was based on the dates of the bookings, and they're not necessarily coinciding with where I am in that part of the country. <laughs> Just doesn't yeah. unfortunately work out that way. Um, it's when you can get the date when they have the opening available, and um, yeah, I've done you know some running around like that. I can definitely uh, say I have. Um, so, so let me so tell you, you, there's a book oh, in that. Oh. You've got a book there. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got a. I I certainly have enough uh, life. Things in that and and other things, you know, leading up to my you know my my career in the music industry, um, had some interesting experiences that uh, uh, I could probably do a sh- Brian and I'll have to do a show about um, <laughs> one day or another. Uh, just the, the time leading up to uh, you know getting into the music business and and uh, what has uh, transpired you know along that route that that journey. Um, we uh, we also have a. Uh, well, Brian wanted to ask you a well, question. Well, no, hey, just, oh, just going to say, uh, you know, 
for those folks listening out there, 646-668-8494, 646-668-8494, call in. Let's talk to Jerry. We'll, uh, be uh, Ask whatever you want. Uh, you could even cuss if you, if you feel the need to. Uh, I don't hey, th- this is a family <laughs> show. This is a family show. The, uh, no, but I, what I wanted to say, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, you know, mention your book, uh, uh, bring in the right-hander, which I think is that there's uh, some, some irony there. Um, I do, I was t- talking to DA before the show, I was saying how much I love that cover, uh, the back of Tommy, <laughs> Lasorda, and, and just a very stern-looking uh, Jerry, uh, kind of, I don't know if it was uh, directed towards him or what was going on there, but uh, tell us a little bit about that aspect. All right, the book, um, I promised Tommy years ago when he was writing his books, I said, you know, if I ever write a book, I'm going to find a way to get you on the cover. And he just kind of laughed at me, and, you know, we made a few jokes about that, and it was pretty much set aside. Uh, When I decided to write the book, I went into Los Angeles and spent hours, in fact, I think it was over a course of a couple of days, going through all the pictures, all the slides, the negatives, and the prints that they had looking for material that I could use in the book. And toward the end of the second day, I only spent two days there, I came across the slide that was used for the cover of my book, and I said, this is it. This is what I want. Of course, at that point, I didn't know what I was going to name the book. And, I, of course, anybody who writes a book will tell you this is the process that you go through. I had slips of paper and pencils all around the house. When I watched TV at night, there was a pad and pencil. When I went to the bathroom, there was a pad and pencil. Everywhere, there was a pad and pencil. And as I was looking in there, what am I going to call this, what I'm writing here? I need something that's relevant to me and relevant to the subject so that the people who go into a place like Barnes & Noble look at a book and and I got what am I going to say on this one blurb that's going to make them pull this off the shelf look at it, read it, and then turn around and buy it because I'm competing with everything else that's in the store. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it, and I had a couple of possible titles, and then I said, what's relevant to me? And I remembered all of those times that I was a starting pitcher, and the manager came out to take me out of the ball game, and inevitably what he was going to say with me being a left-handed pitcher was that he was going to make a pitching change. And every manager, and I played for 15 different major league managers, all said the same thing when the home plate umpire asked them, what are you going to do here? And they looked at the home plate umpire and they said, bring in the right-hander. And I said, that is the title of my book. And then when I saw that picture, I hated to come out of a ball game. And I hated to come out of a ball game with Tom Lasorda being the manager. And I tried to negotiate a number of different times to stay in that ball game. There was a story, and I'll tell you when it, when it actually happened. Uh, I was pitching for the Dodgers, doing pretty well at the time, but this one particular night, wheels fell off the wagon. few blue pits and air, a play that wasn't made, and I see Lasorda coming out. And I know within that first step coming out of the dugout that he's going to take me out of the game. And I figured i got to do my best to stay in this game because I know we're going to come back and win it. He gets to the mound, and he starts to say something. I said, listen to what I have to say. And I said, I know by virtue of you walking out here that you're going to take me out of this game. And I want to stay in this game. So why don't we do this? Let's have a vote. I want to stay in. You want to take me out. Let's ask Jaeger, who was the catcher at the time, to cast the deciding vote. Now, I figured – Jaeger and I had, had matched up for the last month or so in winning some ball games for the Dodgers. So I figured, let's see what happens. And to my surprise, Lasorda said, okay, we'll have a vote. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I am so in this ball game. So he looks at Jaeger, who still has the mask on, and he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. He wants to have a vote. He wants to stay in. I want to take him out. You're going to cast the deciding vote. Jaeger rips off the mask, looks at Lasorda, looks at me, and then looks back at Lasorda and says, you should have taken him out two innings ago. Uh, (laughs) You should have said, wait a second, let me get Garvey, say, and uh, Lopes and uh, and, and Bill Russell. No, it was too late by that time. And then I gave him the ball, and I, (laughs) I remember hearing the conversation going on behind me 
the home plate umpire says, Tommy, what you going to do? He says, I'm going to bring in the right-hander. And that <laughs> is where I got the title of the book. Yeah. Well, you made a good choice. That's Fa- great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Can we have a caller? Uh, we, do, we do have a caller, it looks like, uh, from the uh, Northeast Ohio region. Let's go ahead and bring, uh, bring him Cincinnati on. Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, it could be. Uh, yeah. uh, are, you, are you there? I am. It's, it's Phil, frequent caller. Uh, I just wanted to ask Jerry, um, throughout your 22-year career, um, did you have uh, some players that uh, were, were you know, top-notch players that you had a lot easier time with? In other words, that you kind of like owned them? And on the other hand, did you have players throughout your career uh, that were the toughest out and that they kind of like owned you? Any, any thoughts on that? You know, Phil, that's a tremendous question, and I'm on Facebook, and every week I post a picture and a story to go along with that picture. If you're on Facebook, just type my name in, and I guarantee you every Friday, maybe even Saturday, you'll get something that you didn't have the day before. So that is the question that I'm asked most often, and what I do is refer people to RetroSheet.org because In Retrosheet.org, if you get my name, you will see all of the batter-pitcher matchups, and you would be shocked. I was shocked when I first read it back when I was doing my book about the guys that I had a great deal of ease with and then the guys that just pounded me. So to give you an example, this is just with Milwaukee. Paul Molitor batted under 200 against me. I can't remember his average right now because I'm almost 70 years old. Give me a break. But yet (laughs) Robin Yount hit close to 450 against me. Two guys in the same lineup, two batters apart. One I seem to have great success with. The other one pounded me. Now, then again, there was Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt, for whatever reason, hit a lot of home runs off of me. In fact, I think it was 10, plus he hit one against me in the 83 playoffs. Only Bob Forsh, the late Bob Forsh with the Cardinals, had surrendered the same number of home runs as I did. And for years, when this question came up, whether it was on television, radio, or much like an interview like this, they said, what was it with Schmidt? You know, how did he do so well against you? And the best answer to this day that I've been able to come up with is Schmidt happens. <laughs> and, 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 and just so the, the, the listeners know, uh, I believe the caller uh, is originally from Dayton, Ohio, which is uh, Mike Schmidt country. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, caller, but did you not play Little League with Mike Schmidt? No, he was a little bit ahead of me, but also Steve Yeager was from the same area as well. Well, there so you both, go. How both. about that? You're yeah. on the air right now, and already I've made two references to, to two guys who have grown up right in your area. Hey, Phil, thanks for calling. Yeah, yeah very thanks welcome. for calling. Thanks Thank for calling. Thank you for the answer. Yeah. Bye-bye. Hey, that was, that was, uh, that was interesting, no, that was Jerry. Good. It's a good question. Um, so, so one of the, you know, just not to, not to uh, belabor Tommy, but uh, it's funny because, uh, and I've told this story, I think, uh, during a couple other of our, uh, of our shows where, uh, you know, I went to school, uh, high school in Northeast Ohio, and all of a sudden, I'm, you know, it's lunchtime, and some big stretch limousine pulls up in front of our our high school, and they call an ad hoc, uh, 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 what was it called, a uh, just get everyone down to the auditorium, uh, and and we've got a special guest speaker today, and sure enough, it's it's Tommy Lasorda, and I don't know if uh, somebody at the school he had he had uh, grown up with or. You know, and again, we couldn't be further away from Los Angeles uh, in in this uh, in this uh, you know set of circumstances. But he gave a very like you know I just still remember this. I was in eighth grade. He gave a, just a very like powerful, uh, inspira- uh, inspiring speech about not necessarily staying in school, but just following your dreams and uh, just really you know kind of talking. Uh, gave gave some great fun stories. I'm sure like you know there are probably a couple people in there that were that were falling asleep because they just didn't you know, grasp the, the, uh, the, the, the magnitude of, at least in my eyes of, 
you know, who was uh, standing in front of them. But uh, I think it, it did, it did resonate with everyone. And I think that's one of the cool things about Tommy and you could probably talk to this is just his ability to just inspire and, and really have a great connection with, with people, not only players, but also just people. If a baseball fan hasn't heard a Tom Lasorda speech, you've really missed something. Because back in the day, and he's been giving speeches for 40, 50 years, uh, he did. He does not only the kind of speeches you were talking about, but he does speeches for other people as well. I have never, in all the years that I've been around baseball and around a lot of people outside of baseball in the entertainment business and in politics, that can get in front of a group of people and present a speech that pertains to nearly everybody in the audience, as well as Tom Lasorda. It's a gift. If you heard him speak, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's one of the best. He's one of the most inspiring. And without a doubt, one of the funniest people I have ever heard present a speech. Absolutely. And and, and just so the ability to uh, also kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, like kind of make fun of himself. Like he's very gregarious and, 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 but just is so down to earth and, and, and humble in so many ways that it really, it just, it, to your point, I mean, it, you almost want, you almost want uh, everyone to that's walking the planet to, to have experienced, uh, you know, just at least some snippet of his, of his wisdom and his, and his mirth, if you will. You know, the interesting thing about Tom, and I, I've told him about this, and I, I asked him one time, I said, do you plan on what you're going to talk about when you go in front of a group? He goes, never. And I said, what? <laughs> never. That goes contrary to everything that I learned in college about preparing a speech. you got to have an outline. you got to have a story. you got to relate yeah. to this if you can get a quote. All of us who have gone to college and taken speech class, they know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But with Tom... I said, no. I said, how is it you do that? He says, I talk to the people. I don't give a speech. I talk to the people. And I have a feeling when I walk up there what I'm going to say, and more times than not, what stories I tell are going to relate to these people better than anything I could have planned. He's one of the best. And uh, if you if he's speaking at an area or at a group near near you, I'm I'm talking to the listeners right now, you might want to figure out a chance or take the time to go listen to what he has to say. Even at 90 years old, he still has a lot to say, and it would be, you would be remiss if you missed after you had a choice to hear him speak. You know, Jerry, while we're on the subject of of managers, you're uh, one of, I believe, one of only two players who played for three different Pittsburgh Pirate managers, uh, Danny Murtaugh, Chuck Tanner, and Jim Leland. Um, tell me how, uh, how did they differ in their philosophy, um, uh, how, their motiv- how they motivated a player, um, overall uh, managerial, uh, you know, day-to-day, you know. Acumen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can, I can tell you about that, but I think before I do, we're going to have a whole lot of people in your audience going, He's one of two. Who was the other guy? Do you want to tell people <laughs> who the other guy was, or I, or do we I, let yes, them hang? Yes, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, no. Murtaugh. Oh. No. Who? The, who's the other player that played under those? Oh. Can I take a Can I take a guess? Well, of course you can. It's your show. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see now. It's got to be. Uh, wow. Um, uh, can't be Stargell. Stargell? Nope. Nope. I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's, let's chew on this for just a little while. I'll tell the story about uh, the different managers and their personalities and approach, and then we'll take a caller and let a caller give us the answer. What do you think? That should be – okay, all right. All right, I, I, let's do that. Said, you know, Jared, the reason I said Stargell, because he was around in the, mid, you know, in the mid-60s, and he played through right. 79, 80, so I, I kind of wonder how it, was, how it wasn't him. Oh, no, Leland came, no, Leland came after 80. That's why, yeah. Well, I'll tell yeah. you this. It's a good guess, but not good enough. <laughs> uh, 
So uh, I'm going to let you chew on that. You, what you yeah, do well, while I'm talking right here, you dig into the Internet and you come up with a final answer. Uh, here's your hint. It's on Well, Wikipedia. that would be cheating. We could do that, but that would be cheating. <laughs> of course I want to try to figure it out myself. All right, uh, there you go. Anyway, let's talk about the personalities of the managers that you mentioned. First, Danny Murtaugh. Let's go back in history just a little bit. Danny was the manager of the 1960 Pirates that defeated the Yankees in the World Yankees, Series. Yeah. That yep. was the World Series where Mazeroski hit the dramatic the home, home run, run in yeah. the seventh game, a walk-off piece that people in Pittsburgh still live right. for. So Danny was very quiet. He kept inside his um, inside his office. In fact, when I played for the Pirates and Danny managed, he had a rocking chair, and it was specifically designed for him. And he would give interviews pre-game, post-game, whatever from that rocking chair. It was a down-home kind of experience. Plus, Danny had a, a had an Irish dry sense of humor. Uh, I don't know if we have time to go into some stories about him, but it's in my book. And here's the here's the un uh, uh, the the plug for my book for people who want to find out about Danny Murtaugh. Uh, differing from him was Chuck Tanner. And Chuck was the most positive guy that I had ever been around. Uh, something terrible could happen, and Chuck would have a positive spin on it. And I once told a story, and I told it to some people in Pittsburgh. They didn't quite know how to take it. I said, if Chuck came home and po- found a pile of horse manure in his living room, He'd look at it, get a big smile on his face, and say, this is great. Somebody gave me a racehorse. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Leland was a little bit more down to earth, and Jim had a little bit of an idea. I was only with him for a month, and this was in 1990, but he had an idea about how he wanted to handle ball club. And I've never known a manager to do this the way that Jim Leland did, but he went out of his way nearly every day to communicate with the players on his ball club. He wouldn't do the interviews before the ball game that a lot of other managers did because he was out on the field and he didn't throw batting practice, but during batting practice, he made it a point to walk around the field, to talk to every player. How you doing? How you feeling? I wanted to use you last night Uh, I couldn't get you in, but the next chance I get, I want to do that. Or if a guy had a bad game, he says, hey, I still believe in you. It's been rough. That's going to happen in the big leagues. That's how this game is. But I'm still on your side. And even to the guys who were stars who were doing great, so how are you feeling? Everything okay with you? You let me know if you need a day, I'll get you a day. This was the way that he handled things. Three different personalities, three different managers that were successful for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, wow. I've, we've put the, yeah, I put the feelers out there. I'm getting some text messages. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> uh, th- this is definitely an uphill battle, <laughs> even, on the, in, even on the Internet searching. Uh, so well, we'll, we'll have to see if, if somebody I, can call in I, out there uh, that, that's got a good, a good uh, guess on that. I, I believe it must be a pitcher and not somebody that played their entire – a long stint – but somebody who jumped back and forth from Pittsburgh to another team, came back to the Pirates, went to another team. That's that's my that's my know. guess. I don't think it's somebody yeah. that played for. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a hint. We've had a couple of minutes. You're on the right track. You're getting warm. It is <laughs> All right. a pitcher. All right. It is a yeah. pitcher. Started with the Pirates, went to other clubs, came back to the Pirates. Oh man! Do I smell? <laughs> do I smell wood burning? Is that yes. what it is? Because you're thinking brain so cells. Hard? That's brain cells. Yeah. It smells like wood, but it's brain cells. Um, okay. Wow. Started with the pirates. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, well, let's circle back. Let's circle back because I know that one of the things uh, that I did want to, because this is kind of near and dear to my heart, is that uh, you do do some, uh, you do do some um, minor league ball uh, uh, broadcasting today, correct? Uh, or, or am I am I uh, misstating that? No, you're not misstating that at all. Uh, I've been doing minor league games here in Las Vegas ever since I moved here. Now there were a couple of years that. I was doing major league games. I did television for the California Angels before they became the Anaheim Angels and whatever incarnation they are now. Plus, I did radio three years, 40 games a year. 
for the Dodgers. So among all of those different things, plus I coached for five years in the minor leagues. So I did find time when I wasn't coaching, broadcasting for the Angels or the Dodgers to do games here on the radio in Las Vegas. Are you officially retired now? Or are you still taking on any uh, responsibilities in baseball-related or otherwise? No, that every year uh, it's a handshake. You ever heard of anybody with a handshake agreement these days? Well, that's yeah, what I have yeah. with the local incarnation of the club. It's now the Las Vegas Aviators. There's going to be a new ballpark here in Las Vegas. It's about two miles from where I live. It's going to be an affiliation with the Oakland A's and their AAA ball club. So it's going to be all new. It's going to have a whole new group of people that are going to come to the ballpark. It's supposed to be a 10,000-seat stadium. And according to what I've heard, it's going to be state-of-the-art minor league. In fact, in some cases, it may even be better than some of the major league ballparks that are out there today. Oh, man. So, well, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, I want to take a guess. <laughs> take a guess. It's guess time. What do you got? <laughs> John Candelaria? John Candelaria. No more calls, please. We have a winner. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe. Where'd you did pull I, that I, Did I get that? You got it right. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> no, I'm no not kidding you. Way. You got it did right. I, I got that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm impressed. And and Brian will tell you, I didn't look any. I, I did he, not look anything he up. He doesn't even know how to use a computer, so I assure it, you. And he's that, not lying. I did not. That came out of the annex of his... <laughs> That, that medulla that might be that might be the greatest guess in <laughs> guess history that I just nailed that. I wish there was like some like yeah. huge prize on the that line. On. Oh my goodness, that was amazing. I'm that that I'm very impressed with myself. Well, you ought to be. That's a, that's not an easy one to think about because first of all, you have to be a Pirates fan and you have to go through the process of three different managers and try to remember the timeline for each of them. Well, that's what so I was doing. So you did a was, good job. Yeah. And if I were there, I'd give you a big pat on the back, uh, a big fist bump, Don't worry, and say, you can, that away. You, you, can, you can do it when I visit you in Vegas, Jerry. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, so, uh, Jerry, I mean, the, and the reason I think I was uh, probing about the, 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 the uh, minor leagues, uh, especially in Vegas, and I do want to kind of come back to that with some of the uh, just – you know, how, how the town is, is growing. Obviously the Raiders are coming there, finally getting a professional sports team of, of some consequence. Uh, that's now. still up for debate. <laughs> yeah. The hockey team for crying out loud and with the incredible season uh, that they had. Uh, and then also I just, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me, uh, cause I, I am, uh, I am, uh, I, I, you know, my wife would say I have problems. I just love the name of the, of the uh, minor league, the 51s. I thought was just a great, like, man, you can't, that that's up there with like one of the coolest, uh, the coolest uh, nicknames uh, of a, of a ball club or, or for any matter, any team that I've ever heard of. Well, you here, you either like it or you hate it. There are a lot of people when they say the 51s, they roll their eyes uh, much like people in Albuquerque do when they hear the nickname of that ball club, which is the Isotopes, named after a fictitious minor league team that was first presented on a Simpsons episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Which is basically after Homer's like nuclear, you know, because he's working at the nuclear plant. So <laughs> you tie that all back into there, and I could see where people are doing some eye rolling. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, minor league baseball is meant to be fun. I mean, not that not yeah. that baseball at the big leagues isn't meant to be fun, but for crying out loud, I mean, some of the best times I've had at ballparks uh, in between innings and, and just going to the game because it's such a more intimate experience on a lot of levels that, uh, I mean, it's just a fantastic uh, brand of, 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 of baseball, in my opinion. Well, not only baseball, but entertainment as well. And let's face it, minor league baseball has to compete with what else is going on in a locality. For instance, the movies, you've got cable television, uh, there are other events and uh, there are concerts. Who knows what else goes on in the particular area where somebody lives? So minor league baseball's there. They understand what they have to offer, and they've got to make it fun, and they've got to make it affordable. It's a nice alternative to seeing professional baseball being played 
even though it's not the major leagues, but you're not paying major league prices. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference. When you go to the major league ball uh, ball game and you see what goes on with the entertainment and with what they offer, well, you pay a premium price for that, but you get premium entertainment. In the minor leagues, it's not quite the same thing, but you still get baseball and you're still entertained. There's enough room for both to exist. Yeah, and not to mention just the ability to – or you know, for 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 some of the fans that have a more deep seated interest in the farm system, just kind of seeing the next the next major league baseball potential stars, or or even you know, it don't have to be a star, but uh, just guys that are coming up. Uh, you know, if you kind of have a, a, a even a passing interest, it's really cool to see these kids. Uh, you know, they work so hard, and, they, and and there's a lot of toiling down there, and I'm sure you can talk to that as well. Uh, just to be able to kind of, if you're following uh, guys and you know, you know who's kind of got the potential and the and the it factor to to make to kind of take it to the next step. We just had a four-year. Well, I say we. It's the it's the uh, the ball club that's here had an agreement for four years with the New York Mets. In the course of that time, we saw the top rookies of the Mets come through here: Jacob Degrom, Noah Syndergaard, Steve Matz and a host of others that played here before they got to the Mets. And to see them and to see them perform in such a way before they were, well, considered major media stars, uh, that's something. And for people, there are a number of people out there who are baseball fans that consider this uh, to say uh, they, like the, they like the ability to say, I saw him before he was a yeah. star. I saw yeah. him in Las Vegas. I saw him in Binghamton. I saw him in Class A ball. Maybe it's Port St. Lucie. Well, that was the opportunity they had. Well, now it's a new uh, agreement with the Oakland A's. So the Oakland A's players that will be eventually major league stars will have to make their way through Las Vegas. And that same uh, a train of thought that goes through one's mind will be the same. And that will be, I saw him when he was in AAA. Boy, what a blast he was. Or you get something opposite. I didn't think he was that good of a prospect. But, boy, once he got to the big leagues, he was lights out. So all of those things lend to the conversation of professional baseball. It's a good thing. Uh, Jerry, I, uh, before, I, before I forget, I have uh, one more some question uh, that was in, I felt was of importance that uh, – I wanted to ask you, and before we do that, let me just give the uh, the number to call in in case uh, any of our listeners want to uh, get a call in to talk to Jerry before um, we have to uh, yeah, let, let him go. We're having some some phone issues here, so I'm I'm trying to work on that on this side. So, uh, but in the meantime, go, go ahead. Well, if, if if we do clear that up, the call in number is six four six 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 eight eight four nine four. Again, six four six 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 eight eight four nine four. Call in, ask Jerry a question, as we have been uh, doing here ourselves and as our uh, caller, previous caller did. Uh, Jerry, uh, you pitched a no-hitter, and um, you pitched it for the Dodgers, and you pitched it uh, – I, I, I didn't, wasn't able to find out if you pitched it in Dodger Stadium or in Candlestick. And I was curious to know, um, because I know that the, the – uh, you know the weather, uh, the the weather, the climate in Candlestick was not always uh, the best conditions to play ball in. So I was curious to know uh, where you, what stadium you pitched that no hitter in. Well, let me give you the details. It was June twenty seventh, nineteen eighty, Candlestick Park. And mm. when I wrote my book, this was four years ago. I went through a lot of research material, not only on the internet but books and whatever else I had. And it included DVDs and uh, VHS tapes. And so I took a look for the first time in I can't tell you how many years that I actually watched the ball game uh, to the extent that I, you know, more than just a, a cursory glance. But Vin Scully started off the broadcast by saying, it's a warm night here in San Francisco. The temperatures in San Francisco during the day, reached 80 degrees. Now, this is in June when everybody else, if it's 80 degrees in June, boy, you're having a cool-off kind of day or maybe a thunderstorm right. came through. 
But in San Francisco, that's rare, especially at Candlestick Park because yeah. of the microclimate that they had back there. But Vin made a point to talk about it. He also talked about a couple of other things in that pregame. And little did he know that he set the stage for a no-hitter, a very important time with me. Now, a couple of things about the no-hitter. And people, I'll answer the questions before you ask them. Did I, have a, did I know that I had a no-hitter going? Of course I did. Any pitcher that tells you he doesn't realize it, I don't <laughs> think is really telling you the truth. I knew from the first inning because of that intense concentration and awareness that I had as a pitcher. A ground ball with two outs in the first inning, fielded cleanly by shortstop Bill Russell, thrown over to first base on one hop. It was one of the rare moments that Steve Garvey didn't pull it out, and the runner was safe on the air. This was in the first inning. This altered the lineup, and eventually uh, it became a big factor because – As the game progressed and the Giants didn't get any hits, uh, there was more and more talk about the error by Bill Russell, the shortstop, back in the first inning. But what a lot of people don't realize is that later on in the ballgame, I don't remember seventh, eighth inning, Russell went deep in the hole, grabbed a two-hopper, uncorked a perfect throw across the diamond to Garvey to retire a batter by maybe a half-step. It takes a lot of luck to pitch a no-hitter as well as skill, and you have to do that for at least 27 outs. I did it, and it took the equivalent of 28 outs. Right. So for me, uh, that answers the second question, was I disappointed because I didn't get a perfect game? I was better than a perfect game because I needed 28, the equivalent (laughs) of 28 outs Uh, to get it. So it doesn't get me into the book of guys that threw perfect games, but it gets me into the book of another asterisk, which is something else you get if you play for a long period of time. Uh, A lot of things good are going to happen. A lot of things not so good are going to happen. And if you play a long period of time, these things are going to kind of list themselves. So for me, I tend to look at it. I got the equivalent of 28 outs. I pitched a no-hitter. And the important thing to me, and this still surprises me to this day, because it's been 29 years coming this June. We're 28 and a half as we speak tonight. But I still have people who come up to me at a public appearance, or they'll send me a note, or I'll hear it on a radio interview similar to something like this, and tell me where they were when I was pitching a no-hitter. And I think if it had that kind of impact in their life, that it was one of the mileposts where they can remember where they are, what they were doing, who they were with, it must have really been something important. Not only for me, but for fans who followed the game back in those days. Was there, uh, was there, uh, I, I know that back in, you know, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, uh, that ballpark probably was not, I would say, was not full that night. There probably was only uh, maybe 10,000 people in, in the stadium. Was it a, you remember you know, the, I the, can't the, re- the I can't, crowd size? I can't, re- you know, I can't remember the exact number. Uh, I did look it up and I did write it in my book. I think it was better than 20,000. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, well, wow. it was 8 o'clock game. It was the Dodgers. It was also, the Giants, the Giants yeah. and the Dodgers. Yeah. And <laughs> what, what's funny is that the Giant-Dodger rivalry, by the time 1980 came around, it was one of those things that I think both organizations, the Giants and the Dodgers, they privately got on the phone each other and say, let's keep this thing going. It ain't relevant anymore but let's keep it going because it brings fans into the ballpark. So they promoted that rivalry and that brought a lot more people out to the ballpark than otherwise would have been there. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, no, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's good. Uh, and and thanks for leading the interview for us (laughs) on that, (laughs) on that, on that nugget. Uh, Jerry, you were uh, inducted into the Missouri sports hall of fame back uh, in January of of 2016, how much did that did that mean to you? Well, it was, it's important in the sense that it's where I'm from, and these were people that I grew up with. These are people that were there at the very start when I was Jerry Royce pre 
professional baseball player. They stayed with me during that whole particular period of time, and they honored me for what I did and for who I was. That, to me, was probably as important as anything. little side note to that, a number of people that I went to high school with got together, and there was a little bit of a caravan that went down to Springfield, Missouri, where the Hall of Fame is located, and they attended the dinner. I was surprised because I didn't know they were going to be there. And just before the dinner began, uh, there was a meet and greet, and I couldn't believe the number of people that were there from when I went to grade school through high school that played little league ball against me, high school ball against me, and followed my career that entire time that drove from St. Louis all the way to Springfield, the other side of the state, just to be there for me being inducted. That meant a lot to me. So that's what's more important than uh, the plaque, more important than uh, pictures. It's just the fact that people remembered these are lifelong relationships. And as far as I'm concerned, that's more important than uh, the baseballs I've saved, again, the plaques, and anything else that goes with it. More important than that Honus Wagner card you have hiding in your attic. <laughs> no, <laughs> even more important I, than I, that. You know, I I uh, I wanted to mention is that is that a caller coming oh, through? Oh, do have a caller. We have right, a caller. Uh, okay, uh, we ha- we were having some phone line issues, but caller, are you there? <laughs> hi, hi, yes, hi, Jerry. Hey. How are you? Who are we speaking to? <laughs> Melissa yeah, who, who from is? Philadelphia. Hey, Melissa from Philadelphia. How are you? Thanks for being with us tonight. Oh, nice, nice. Um, I I do have a question, though, for you. So, after listening, did you ever really aspire to manage in the big leagues or just where you're at? No, I I never wanted to be a manager. Uh, A pitching coach I did for five years in the minor leagues. Uh, That was enough for me. Uh, There was something I wanted to give back and something uh, as a way to say thanks for helping me have the career I did. But my thoughts and my desires were more in broadcasting. I wanted to be behind the mic because growing up, not only did I admire the players on the field, but also the voices behind the microphone. Now, growing up in St. Louis in the 50s and the 60s, let's see, uh, you're in Philadelphia. Uh, You had some great names, and you'll be able to recall those. But this is what I had to listen to. I had Harry Carey, Jack Uh, Bowen, Joe Garagiola. (laughs) So three names like that were the ones that uh, inspired me for what I wanted to do my post-baseball career. You had Harry Callis, and by, I'm going to forget his last name, what, well, what I definitely this? have a Thomas T-shirt, I, but I, I, um, I'm, I don't know who uh, we're talking about before that because I was probably little. <laughs> yeah, but no, you had Harry Callis and some great names out of Philadelphia. In fact, there were a number of radio people throughout baseball during the '60s before television really hit big, and these were the guys that you that came into your home and brought you the play-by-play of your local sports team. And you yeah. felt as if they were a relative, you, uh, a friend. And when they said something, you said, I believe that. That's who our group is. That's who represents this city. Yeah, uh, it's because they believed. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Um, thank, thank you so much, uh, Melissa, for calling in. Thank uh, you, Melissa. Yeah, and, 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 and um, kind of raising that. And uh, uh, Jerry, I mean, we, we would be remiss uh, if we didn't say you, you, you do have a voice for radio. <laughs> we always like to say we have a face for radio, but you, uh, you definitely <laughs> yeah, have speak a voice. for yourself, Brian Gard. <laughs> thank you, Melissa. I want to thank our caller, Melissa. And um, I, uh, we're going to, we're going to, kind of wrap this up in, in, in just a few minutes. And before we do, I had a few things I wanted to, uh, just to one more, two more thoughts to uh, ask, ask you, Jerry. Uh, we've had a, uh, Brian, and I've had a, a couple of other, uh, I think one or two f- possibly players that you, uh, certainly that you played against, but might've played with uh, here on the show. Um, uh, Von Joshua was one of our guests. I don't know if you played with Von um, on the Dodgers. 
I remember Vaughn. Uh, I don't. We might have been teammates, but if we were, it was briefly. Right. Um, we had uh, Mark Littell as uh, been a guest on several shows. Uh, I don't know if you played with Mark in St. Louis. Well, no, I actually, didn't, I didn't play with Mark, but I did follow his career both with the Cardinals and I believe Kansas City. Yes. Yep. Uh, and let's see. Well, you didn't play with John Stearns, <laughs> but you played against. No, you pitched it, you against know, him. You know what's interesting is that in the 1980 All Star Game, John Stearns caught the inning that I pitched, oh, and okay. when the National yeah. League came back with a couple of runs after I pitched, I was uh, the pitcher of record and eventually won the 1980 All-Star Game. So oh, wow. there is a Stearns-Royce connection. Oh, that's good. Well, I, 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 the funny thing is, uh, you know, I'm about, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be hanging out with John next week. I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Port St. Lu- I'll be in, you know, near Port St. Lucie where Mets Fantasy Camp is, and John's there for uh, Fantasy Camp, and I, and I have, uh, I'm going to be down there visiting uh, relatives and uh, taking a little R&R, and John and I are going to hook up and hang out. So I'll, I'll bring that up. I also have his... Uh, I have his 1983 uniform <laughs> that that uh, that uh, he one wears of, it to bed. And one of his and one of his uh, one of his fans knows that I'm friendly with John, and uh, they 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 got his his, his 1983 uniform in an auction, and uh, and they contacted me because they couldn't get in touch with John. They wanted to just donate it back to him, and uh, so I you know I called John up and said, hey, John, I you know I've got a, one of one of your fans is uh, wants to send me your 1983 uniform. They got it in an auction. And I just said, yeah, yeah, send it. I haven't sent it to you. So they sent it to me. And, uh, and then I, I, you know, when I was planning the trip to go down, uh, down to Florida, I said, John, I'm going to bring you a uniform. I want to give it to you. He says, yeah, you bring it. I'll sign it. You could just keep it. <laughs> so, so I might be wearing it. I don't know about the bed, but I, I, I might be wearing it. Um, well, why not? Well, why not? If, uh, yeah, you know, if, if he says, funny thing is, as, as, as you know, you know, you know, you, you, you know, major league baseball uniform has, has the player's name written in, you know, it's not, it's just not, it's not one you can buy in a store. It has the player's name in the year markered in on the uniform. So, uh, I'm sure that, uh, when people see it and they say, Hey, uh, you're a Stearns fan. And I tell them, well, that's actually John Stearns 1983 uniform. It's going to be hard to sell that one to people that don't know me personally, that I actually have really have his uniform. Ah, hold on to it. Well, 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 try this, try this when you go out, uh, with John, and people ask you why you're wearing that shirt, and you say, um, you know what? You buy me a drink or you buy me dinner, I'll tell you the whole story. You, who knows? You may be able to run with this thing as far as you possibly can. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a food guy. I don't drink, but I'm a food guy, and I might I might try to pull that one off. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the the, uh, the advice on that, Jerry. I think it'd be funny if you were palling around down there and wearing his jersey for crying. Well, out I might I might yeah I might do that with him. I might do that. I might add, might I might pull, try to pull that one off as well. But, uh, Jerry, it's been a it's been a pleasure, uh, an honor and a pleasure having you. As a guest on the show, we I, I would I would love to have you. Uh, I'm sure Brian as well. Would we'd, we'd love to have you back on. Uh, you know, sometime in the near future, um, we'll 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 put that together at some point. And um, want to wish you all the best and uh, and all your endeavors and what you decide to do with your uh, with your time. And I hope you uh, you know um, enjoy Vegas. I hope I can get down there at some point in the near future. Uh, and if I do, I'll certainly uh, try to contact you, and maybe we can uh, we can go get a burger or something. <laughs> yeah, but but don't wear the John Stern jersey, okay? <laughs> that, that that won't fly here, okay? Yeah. We'll get you something. We'll get you an Aviators jersey there, so oh, that you can be great. up to date. How about that? I I appreciate that. I will I will definitely uh, don that in the Vegas area. Uh, Brian, do you have to? Yeah, no. I was just gonna say, like, if uh, it, yeah, this. Vegas brings me out there sporadically, uh, and so you know, would love. I can't wait to uh, w- w- just real quick. When does the new uh, when does the new uh, ballpark open, and uh, when can we expect to to see see them take the field? It'll be, I, I believe, opening day or opening night is April 9th. It'll be against Sacramento. For those who aren't uh, schooled in minor league baseball, particularly AAA. Sacramento is Giants, is the Giants, so it'll be a kind of a triple-A Giants-Oakland A's rivalry, cross-bay kind of thing happening here in Las Vegas, also with um, a new ballpark opening and a new era of professional baseball here in Las Vegas. 
Oh, fantastic. And, uh, and, and we'll look forward to that. And I think, uh, you know, if your listeners are, are around, uh, and, 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 and can get to the game, maybe you live in Southern California or even in Vegas, Nevada, um, you can, uh, you know, very easily accessible, get out there. Probably it'll be, a, I'm sure it'll be more than a sellout, uh, you know, knowing that town. So, uh, good luck with everything, um, going forward. And we really appreciate it. Pick up, uh, uh, uh Jerry's book. If you can bring in the right hander. And, and, and if anything, the, 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 you know, is that old adage, like a book, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. I, I, I'll just continue this. I'm a table pounding. Uh, uh, I just love that cover. And I think, uh, that's one that to me, like sold, sold me on the book. So, Yes, so, judge yeah, a book by its yeah, cover. Judge a book on this as cover by, by that one because that was a great one. And Jerry, thanks again, and uh, we'll we'll cut you loose and have a wonderful evening. Yeah, well, Jerry, not th- before I d- I do this uh, unashamed promo of myself. If you want oh, a copy please, of the ahead. book, you could you can probably get it on Amazon.com. Some used, some new. But if you want a brand new shiny book signed by me, go to JerryRoyce.com. It'll give you all the information necessary to get one of those. But in the meantime, until you get that book, you can follow me on Facebook. I post a couple of things a week. Today, I posted about Patsy Cline and the song Crazy. So Uh look up Jerry Royce. You can read about Patsy Cline. And on weekends, I usually put some baseball pictures up there. Things that you won't find anywhere else on the Internet. So there's a lot of Jerry Royce things going on. There's even more going on in the future once the baseball season uh, uh, comes into play. Guys, it was a lot of fun tonight. Enjoyed the conversation and hope we can do it again. Yes, we, it, was a, it was a lot of fun, and we, we hope to do it again as well. If you didn't hear that, go to JerryRoyce.com, get a copy of the book. And, uh, and when baseball season starts, we're going to plan another, uh, another show date with, with Mr. Jerry Royce here, uh, okay. right here on the Lions Radio Network. And for D.A. Cole. And Brian Gard. This was Turning Up the Heat. Thanks for having us tonight, we'll, everybody. We'll see you next time.